We are live here on the Carl Vibe channel, where we are going to be talking about some interesting and mysterious stuff tonight with special guest Pete from the Creepy Little Book. And we are going to jump right into the conversation coming in hot with Pete from the Creepy Little Book. We're going to be talking tonight about the difference between extraterrestrials, ultra-terrestrials, maybe a little bit of the hollow earth, a little bit of the shaver mystery. But first and foremost, foremost, uh, let's get uh, some introductions out of the way here. So Pete, tell everybody about what you do over on your channel, Creepy Little Book. Well, hey there, everybody. How you doing? First of all, thank you so much for having me, Carl. It's great to be here. And this is a fantastic topic I'm very excited to talk about. <clears throat> My channel is focused on the fringe and mysterious, everything from the esoteric to the extraterrestrial, the spiritual to the supernatural, all that lies between. We do it seven nights a week, 365 days a year, including holidays and weekends. You can find me Monday through Friday at 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I specialize in it for the night people, the community of the curious, all you late night folks who can't get a wink of sleep, but you like to keep it up late and talk about something weird. This is the place to be, man, the creepy little book. And I thank you again, Carl, for having me tonight. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Now, whenever I want to do some research on some interesting mysterious topics or try to get some background information i always find myself over on your channel pete over on creepy little book trying to figure out this stuff because it, i feel like in some weird way everybody that's talking about these different subjects and different topics it's all somehow connected or interwoven in some mysterious way from the past all the way up until now and we want to pin it down and we want to think that we know what this phenomenon is. But once you try to get close to it, it's a little bit more mysterious than that. And I'm talking about the difference between like UFOs and are they physical craft or are they some sort of interdimensional portal? Or are these actually extraterrestrial beings that are coming in and visiting us? Or is it something that's actually been existing right alongside us in a parallel dimension and some sort of spectrum outside of our normal perceptions of reality. So Pete, what is your understanding of the difference between like extraterrestrials compared to ultra terrestrials? Well, in the simplest terms, I would connotate any extraterrestrial as being an interplanetary entity, something that comes to us from another world, a creature who was uh, born on another planet uh, is uh, indigenous to another world. With these ultra-terrestrials, we're talking about something that is from our very Earth. These creatures that may have existed prior to even the birth of the first human being. You know, in ancient lore, we hear stories of angels and demons and a rebellion in heaven. In some of these legends, there were angels who did not choose a side and thus were cast down to Earth. And in these legends, they became the fey folk. Some of these... Uh, Elemental spirits, if you will, spirits of the earth, spirits of nature also kind of fit this bill as well. Uh, the ultra terrestrial to me is a fascinating subject because they might very well live alongside of us. They might be able to blend in or they exist just outside of our reality, sharing the same planet, but beyond our visible spectrum, beyond our ability to perceive them unless they choose to be seen. Right. I think like uh, exactly like you're saying, there's so many people that just assume right off the bat that because of pop culture, that when we're talking about UFOs or UAPs or extraterrestrials, they immediately want to jump and talk about aliens and that these things come from another planet. Maybe they're Martians or they come from uh, Nibiru or they want to reach out there into deep space and 
discover an inhabited planet that maybe has located us and then traveled across deep space in a spaceship. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is most of these people that come out of these secret programs, including like Bob Bigelow, who was involved in Skinwalker Ranch, and also like Brandon Fugel, the current owner of Skinwalker Ranch, they talk about this stuff being more like a paranormal, like a poltergeist or something. And when you dig into the ancient history, you get the same sort of phenomenon, like the uh, almost like uh, the uh, Anunnaki or the jinn or you know, like you were saying, the, the these nymphs or different types of creatures or even in the shaver mystery. It's not that they necessarily come from outer space, but from a spectrum of reality that parallels our own, like in the multiverse, right alongside ours or a time slippage kind of a zone. And when you look back into history, what do you think, Pete, are some of the stories that kind of indicate that? Well, the ones that get me the most, I think, are, as I mentioned, the fey folk, the idea of, yeah. uh, of, of fairies. I know it sounds wild, but in those encounters, we find often people uh, experience the phenomenon of missing time. This is closely associated with the alien abduction scenario as well. And I think when you compare and contrast some of the different stories that come up through specifically Celtic legends regarding the Fey folk and alien abduction encounters, you find a lot of similarities. Likewise, you find similarities to uh, cases of demonic oppression or vexation as well. So uh, in, in, in the end, we wonder if these beings are an, a non-human intelligence that originates right here on terra firma, but is in some way imperceivable to us. And we, we all know that the human's limited, limited spectrum of auditory and visual perception right. could indicate that there is something out there beyond what we're able to perceive. Yeah, I agree with that. I think once you realize, like when I started doing a meditation and trying to be really present in the here and now and different things like that, that one of the first things that occurred to me is that reality is very limited in that spectrum, like from the colors of the rainbow, from red up to the of ultraviolet to blue up there. That's pretty much it in that combination. And we also only see... Uh, the elements of the periodic table of elements and as far as our physical matter. And it's very basic things and very simple ingredients that make up our entire spectrum of even physical reality. And what you can hear in your auditory spectrum is very limited as well. And it could be possible that these ultra terrestrials like live in a dimension of reality just outside of that. And even with Hal Putoff, and he's working with like to the stars Academy now, and he is like a predominant remote viewer at the Stanford Institute and things like that. He talks about uh, if these UFO crafts actually were traveling through space time and invisible to us in our spectrum of reality, that they could be moving faster than the speed of light in a sense and, and would have this redshift in reality where time would almost stand still for them and they would be able to move around through our reality almost like a video game where we're just frozen in time and abduct people or take cattle and mutilate them or whatever but almost it, it would be perceived wonder. like a, a magical being to us like a, almost like a genie or the jinn that you hear about right now that's a great point the jinn now the jinn are a perfect example of these kind of creatures in islamic lore and legend uh and, and even as articles of faith 
the jinn were created in a time before man and the jinn had the world to themselves but they polluted and destroyed and and were a pox upon the earth so as a curse they were forced to live outside of what we consider reality and if and reality is malleable if we wonder if that's possible in the right hands you know these kind of ideas of of time travel of interdimensional shift uh these things all become real and 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 not just ideas in fiction and physics yeah you wonder even like if they had the technology like uh, let's say of area 51 imagine if you got close to area 51 out there and underground they had buried this box and that box was able to detect anybody getting close to the secret military base and so it could zero in on you and your brain waves or or subconscious mental frequencies and sort of beam like a holographic projection into your mind or an alternate reality. And when you get into these weird mysteries about ultra-terrestrials, they're always tied into these underground machines or mechanisms or devices like derelict satellites or laser beam devices that project these uh, realities into people's minds. And it sort of accounts for religious epiphanies and experiences that you hear about in time where these pillars of light appear to these people and then they suddenly have this uh, being appear to them almost like a hologram and it starts a whole new religion. Uh, what is your take, you know, what is your take on these like underground machines, like sort of in the shaver mystery, you get this. Uh, you know, that's exactly where I was going to go with that. The shaver mystery. Now, according to the shaver mystery, there was uh, two great species that had come to earth in the past. They were the Atlans and the Titans. Right. And they created technology, not only to uh, in, in the level of machinery and such, but they created technology in the form of biomechanical organisms known as the taro and the darrow. Right. And they left them here. Uh, they didn't start out that way. They diverged. They were originally called the abandoned arrow and they had been left here, but they diverged into two distinct species, the taro, which were benevolent and more humanoid and the destructive darrow who to this day, according to Richard Shaver are responsible for snatching people from the surface and taking them down into their subterranean worlds. Uh, when I was doing research last night into various different alien species that I was talking about, I came across a lot of these stories regarding subterranean caverns under South America, subterranean bases located throughout the United States, where these aliens operate from. And even stories of the Lemurians retreating to their underground city of Telos under Mount Shasta echoes these kind of ideas of a subterranean world, of an underworld, if you will, populated by numerous beings. And this goes back to Greek mythology, you know, the idea of this underworld. Not only the Greeks, but it's replete through cultures around the world. And, and much like you mentioned with these appearances of what might be holographic creatures or something like that, I think of Zarathustra in, in the river, you know, right yeah. away, or Abraham in the desert. Those are the first two things that come to mind these encounters that forever changed the course of human history because these men came in contact with an intelligence not of their human understanding, something far beyond, something greater. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating when you think about it 
people of primitive cultures would almost perceive these encounters as just supernatural or paranormal or angelic or something like that, when really it could have been like an advanced technology. And again, you have not only it being like a connected with this sort of strange advanced holographic technology that can is like mind control devices that comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. But even in these modern books, like the to the stars Academy with uh, uh, Hal put off and uh, Lou Elizondo just left there, but they released these books called the secret machines. And they allude to the same kind of story where there's this Greek mythology sort of intertwined with the subplots of their stories. And also this concept that, these extraterrestrials are sort of tied into these ancient myths and they they're almost like biological pre-programmed entities. They're not necessarily like space aliens, but they're almost more described. Like if you encountered it, it would almost come across like a, a robot or an Android of some kind that's repeating a message, almost like a programmed AI sort of entity. Uh, but it's not really as physical as we'd want it to be. It's more tapping into the subconscious and things like this. So it's so fascinating, this idea of the honeycomb earth or the underground earth. Do you think it would be like a real hollow earth type place? Or do you think it's more of like a extra dimensional sort of like shadow realm or astral plane? Well, I'm a big sucker for the hollow earth. I love the idea, the whole empty eggshell with the smoky yellow God sun inside uh, the whole city of Agartha populated by all these prehistoric creatures that may still roam on the hollow earth. I love the idea. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, whether or not I buy into it whole cloth, that's uh, that's a horse of a different color, but it is, it is a fun idea. And I, I, I know a lot of my, uh, my colleagues would say honeycomb earth. It's possible. There are vast caverns beneath us, labyrinths of tunnels created by, you know, ancient species that may have bore out an existence underground. Uh, but I, I love the idea of Agartha and the Ascended Masters and how that all relates to the UFO phenomenon as well, specifically via the way of uh, Helena Blavatsky and theosophy. And you get this idea of, of like George Van Tassel and the Ashtar Galactic Command is a great example of that, right. where Ashtar is a commander of 20 million uh, crew on various starships throughout our galaxy and universe. He stands before the Andromedan Council to speak on behalf of the Earth, and they defend us from negative and evil extraterrestrial species that would seem to overthrow our world. Uh, but these are connected to etheric beings. Uh, Ashtar is etheric. He's not corporeal in the way that we consider. That's why we can't perceive their ships, because they're on a fifth-level density, whereas we are third-level density beings. And this gets really strange into the law of one and that raw material as well. But it does open the door to endless possibilities when we get down to it. Yeah, you think about it. when What we perceive when you look out into deep space and we perceive just physical matter sort of drop off and there's this edge of reality that's limited at the speed of light for us. And so we see things that are all based on this reflection of, of light and photons bouncing off of things. And that's our visual perception of reality. And the rest of it, we perceive just as all emptiness, just this dark, vast void that goes on forever in between everything. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily just an actual dark 
empty void and that there's nothing in that space. It just means we can't perceive what's in that space. Exactly. We, we can't uh, detect what's there. And that begs the question, these, they, they started changing the name from UFO to UAP. So it's like unidentified aerial phenomenon. And then they start calling them transmedium craft because again, we're talking about these things going subterranean or they disappear by going not just up into outer space like you would expect them to go, but down in the ocean. And so it makes you wonder, again, if there is a physical dimension to their crossing over into our reality, uh, how much of this stuff ties into like going under the ocean or like Lemuria, you said, and also maybe even uh, Atlantis and these ancient legends of advanced technology and a breakaway civilization. Happening. Atlantis. And actually I'll be talking about Atlantis later on tonight. That's going to be the topic of my stream this evening. Nice. Uh, but the idea of, of these kind of civilizations once existing and being vastly technologically advanced uh, is something that I uh, very much ascribe to. And I do not credit extraterrestrials necessarily for those technological advancements. I think people had a lot of time on this planet to cook up technology. If we look at the whole scope of human history, science tells us, if we, if we are to believe the science, that human beings have been here for 200,000 years. Yet, we've only recorded history for 6,000 of those years. That means 97% of all human history is lost to the ages, lost in the sands of time, forever to be unknown to us. I find it very hard to believe that all humanity did for lo those many thousands of years was wander around picking berries and trying to survive. I think that great civilizations may have risen up and collapsed under their own weight in that great period of time. And that's where ideas like Atlantis and Lemuria come into play. Now, Lemuria is questionable uh, when we get into some of those ideas uh, considering the sources and the uh, more philosophical ideas that really shape what Lemuria was. And again, we go back to Blavatsky. But Atlantis, Atlantis we are told about by Plato. You know, Atlantis, to me, uh, there's just too much evidence around the world to discredit the idea of a worldwide mother civilization that colonized the entire world, leaving its mark in monuments of stone, knowing that, for all time, these would be the only things that would withstand the ravages of the ages. Yeah, it's so fascinating when you think about these, how long deep time could go back. Even when you uh, look at the face on Mars or uh, all these uh, prominent remote viewers seem to look at the surface of Mars, even when it's done in a double blind kind of way or uh, where they don't actually know what they're remote viewing. And they find these like pyramid structures or ancient type stru structures, even on the surface of Mars, almost like uh, our human culture is far older than we think in these ultra terrestrials. The reason they don't just wipe us out is because they're somehow connected to our ancient past. Some of these lost civilizations or breakaway civilizations possibly, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's hard to know if they do exist. It's such a subtle thing. They uh, have managed to evade us, but you, at the same time, uh, when you look at these ancient cultures from the Aztecs or the Mayan carvings over to the Egyptian hieroglyphs and 
these Greek depictions of their gods and the Hindu gods, you find these strange similarities, even the Anunnaki, the depictions of the jinn, mm-hmm. all the way. It's almost like you're talking about something from Skinwalker Ranch again, like these entities or beings that have existed like immortals uh, from the beginning of time or this family of other dimensional beings that have spread around the world and somehow are involved in our reality. What's your thought about how it's all connected in that sort of weird way? Well, I, I like that you bring that up because I believe that it's all interconnected. I think that the the thread that weaves all these strange ideas together is there. You know, it's uh, it's undeniable. Once you start pulling on these different uh, ideas and comparing and contrasting them, there's there's just too many similarities, too many conjunctions of ideas that uh, that speak volumes to the idea of there being interconnectedness there. So uh, in the end, it's it's really hard to differentiate the idea of these non-human intelligences being merely creatures from another world, uh, when they could be creatures that occupy our world as well, when they could be these uh, ultra-terrestrials of legend and lore. And why, in the lore of most of these creatures, the, specifically the fey folk and the elementals, they avoid humanity for most, uh, uh, particularly, uh, they don't intermingle with us. And when they do, it's in a trickster kind of way. It's usually in a negative way. Yeah, you like know, a mimicker. You don't want to the fairy circle because you're going to disappear. Yeah, like know? a shapeshifter. You hear these weird stories where they appear almost like a like a uh, angelic sort of being, but then they'll over the course of many different visits or manipulations, suddenly they're making all sorts of strange requests and, and things that ends up ruining the people's lives and, and stuff like that. And so talking about the faithful, can you maybe explain for people that are new to that a little bit more about who the faithful are? Cause I think <clears throat> that's relevant. And again, something that comes up in those secret machine books and part of this even modern current, uh, form of strange disclosure that we get coming out. Well, the fey folk, uh, most colloquially, people would know these as, as fairies, elves, fairies, leprechauns, dwarves. And, and I know it sounds so far fetched when you get into right. it, but I've interviewed paranormal organizations that have done cleansings and investigations. And the first time I ever encountered a story of leprechauns was speaking to a paranormal investigation group. They had been called out to a house that was purportedly haunted, and what they had encountered was a man who believed he had a tree on his property that was infested with leprechauns. Yeah. So the more he tried to get photos of these leprechauns, the worse the haunting activity in his home would would occur. And this paranormal group said, listen, you know, there are certain steps you can take to minimize the damage you've already done. Uh, you know, first and foremost, you need to stop hanging out around this tree time to take pictures of these things. They don't like it. Give them offerings of food, uh, simple fruits or something, a bowl of fruit, you know, maybe uh, tobacco, something to that regard. So uh, what this person who was experiencing the haunting did was he tried to work around. Instead of him being out there at the tree taking pictures, he had one of his friends come around and do it. And this only aggravated the creatures even more to the point where the paranormal investigation group could no longer provide any assistance because the homeowner was unwilling to comply with their recommendations to uh, alleviate the haunting. So this really piqued my interest in the idea of these fey folk. And I looked into the idea of the high elves of Celtic mythology, the Tuatha Dodana. These were uh, 
you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, kind of conflate with the ancient gods and goddesses of the Celtic people, of the Druids, for what we know about what they believed in. So the Fey folk are powerful beings, uh, capable of enchantment, often tied in with changelings, where a human baby will be substituted for one of the Fey folk uh, in old legends. They are fearful of iron. Uh, so, uh, hmm. that's, that's an old thing too. These creatures fear iron for some reason. Uh, but that's, could be part of the superstition and stipulations that have grown up around, uh, the ideas of way to repel these kind of creatures. But I, I think that there's so much lore and legend to ponder upon. One must wonder if there's truth in the basis of it. If we go back far enough, like the Prisca Theologia, if you go back far enough, Will you find the thread of truth? And I think it will be there. Yeah, it really is. The fae folk, that is such a fascinating thing. This idea of fairies and goblins, uh, dwarf type things, these uh, beings that sort of live in a parallel dimension that, again, grant wishes or have some sort of paranormal reality bending qualities to them where they can choose people's uh, to receive their message, but it's always some sort of like a ghostly or a cult or like paranormal encounter, which brings up like a, another really good question is, are these things actually physical or are they actually paranormal? Is this dimension like, uh, does it account for a ghost dimension or a spirit dimension or do they come in and actually form and materialize into physical beings where they leave footprints like a like a sasquatch or they leave evidence behind and, and actually I, leave yeah. magical stones and, and and things like that behind for it, people you know, to collect be, I've, I've heard legends of portals opening up in stones of creatures coming out of these stones and trying to kidnap people you know uh so i i i think that paracelsus called them elementals in his early alchemical works back in the renaissance period uh, and they correspond to the five elements uh, uh, that were known at the time. Of course, your dwarves are able to move through solid rock, you know, and these creatures are also counted among ultra terrestrials, you know, uh, creatures that inhabit these underground dwellings that we spoke to earlier. So, uh, you know, when, when it comes down to it, I, I do think we're talking about non corporeal, non human intelligences who inhabit our world. And I think that that's a lot more plausible explanation for even the lights in the sky than some mm. of the things we've heard cooked up over the years. You know, I mean, I think of the early contactees of the fifties, people like Truman Bethram who were, you know, they were meeting sexy space aliens from, you know, various different planets, like, like the Corendians right. or the Metons, you know, these, these wild uh, encounters that people had in the fifties that they wrote books about like uh, George Adamski, you know, he's another one or right. Billy Myers and the Pleiadians, you know, these, uh, these contactees who encounter benevolent space brothers. And when it comes down to it, these Nordic looking space brothers like Valiant Thor have a lot more in common with your creatures of Norse legend and myth and the Fey folk than they do with these bobbleheaded gray beings with wraparound almond eyes that are performing experiments on people. Yeah, and then it, this comes back again to the work of like John Keel, and he talks about this uh, reality of the super spectrum and ultra terrestrials. And it's not so much that these beings 
exist always in the form that you see them in, but they are like a mimicker or a shapeshifter, or they do something uh, strange where they sort of interface with your own subconscious and fears or perceptions in order to manipulate the situation into their favor or into their outcome. And that kind of would be the same thing as the Fey folk or the same thing as like the skinwalker at skinwalker ranch or uh, these things, these entities that seem to play both sides in order to manipulate mankind and sort of a, a Machiavellian strategy in order to keep us against each other in a weird way. Uh, so yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like how they maybe interface with your own subconscious in order to manifest because you have these consistent beings that appear to be like in the alien greys, like the Daros in the Shaver mystery mm. uh, are very much like the alien greys, but then also the Nordics uh, or uh, the Taros in the Shaver mystery are very much like Nordics, blonde haired, blue eyed type entities. But is that just them tapping into our own subconscious expectations in order to manipulate us? And they're really playing both sides or do you really think that these are separate classes of, extraterrestrials or ultra-terrestrials entities that really exist out there? Well, if we take the idea of exopolitics and, and kind of dissect it, then we're talking about a universe that is so overly populated with so many different alien species, all of various different types. I mean, you have a, a, a few standard types. You've got your humanoids, uh, which would appear like, like us, would be able to blend in with us and could walk very well walk the face of the earth right now. You've got your reptilian creatures, which relate back to humans' ancient fear of lizards and serpents and creatures like that. You've got your insectoids, uh, the mantis men of some of these alien encounters. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have, of course, robotic creatures like the Lee Parrish encounter and his robotic humanoids that abducted him. I'm of the belief that if we do encounter something from space, it will not be organic. It right. would be a drone. It would be something advanced. Maybe it would be an avatar for an organic being somewhere else. But it, it seems very likely to me that any advanced civilization who was capable of interstellar space flight would also be capable of advanced robotics. And knowing the amount of time it takes to travel from one planet to another uh, with our limited capabilities, the only reasonable course of action would be to send machines to do the work. So I, I think that a lot of people assume that the, the greys of legend and lore and the UFO mythology very well might be bio-organic androids, some kind of you know cyborg kind of being, not entirely corporeal. But the ability to kind of mimic and uh, alter the way we perceive them is part and parcel an aspect of the UFO abduction phenomenon as well as an aspect of the ultra-terrestrial or fey folk phenomenon. You know, the fey can appear as animals if they choose. So can the jinn if they choose. But when we think of UFO encounters, we think of people who have experiences with uh, memories of owls specifically. There's right. even one I heard of a UFO abduction scenario that occurred in the 1800s where the person encountered giant rabbits. So I think that these aliens are able, if they are aliens, and if they are ultra-terrestrials, whatever these beings might be, do have the ability to alter our perceptions of them. So they can appear in forms and shapes that we would either expect or not even be able to comprehend. Yeah, so 
are they appearing the way that they are because they are like a bioorganic sort of drone entity that was sent here uh, that's able to avoid our perceptions? I mean, so when you, if you were to see a UFO, let's say you saw what would be termed a flying saucer, what they're calling these UAPs, transmedium craft, flying in a swarm off the back of a Navy ship, being uh, filmed with radar, with sonar, with the submarine, and by whole crews of these battleship crews uh, together out on the ocean, like in the Omaha and all that stuff in these recent incidents. What are those? Are those drones, physical craft, Pete? Or are these part of the Darrow? Are these underground sort of extra dimensional or ultra terrestrial uh, beings that are appearing in these sacred geometric shapes, opening portals into our reality? Well, first of all, let me tell you what. I'm old school. I am still a UFO guy. This UAP right. thing takes the teeth out of it for me because okay. UFO implies that it's an object. And if it's being picked up on radar, then it's solid. Then there's something to it. It must have mass. There's got to be something for the radar to bounce off of for us to get a signal. You say UAP and it's like, well, it's an unidentified phenomenon. It could be anything that's going on up there. It could be ball lightning for all we know. So right. to dismiss what was formerly considered an object and reduce it down to a phenomenon, I think really takes the teeth out of it. And I think they're really trying a hard rebrand these days. And I'm very resistant to the term UAP for that reason, because it's who is doing the rebranding here from where is it coming? It's coming from the top down. It's coming from the same people that for the past 60 something years have covered up whatever the truth is behind these lights in the sky. Now, I don't claim to pretend to know what the lights in the sky are. But I am fascinated by the mythology that's been built up around them. You know, everything to from the aforementioned contactees of the 50s to the abduction reports of the 80s and 90s. And the fascinating material we're seeing coming out today in the form of hard video evidence that's being confirmed by the powers that be. But again, we got to take all this stuff with a weary eye because where is it coming from? It's coming from the same people that have no problem lying to us for a very long time about the subject matter. Yeah, that's the hard part is you can't tell uh, the truth from the fiction. And even when it's uh, compartmentalized into private hands, like Skinwalker Ranch, you've got that whole string of everything. Bob Bigelow talking about these entities following him home like a paranormal hitchhiker, almost like a poltergeist. But also they see these craft in the sky flying over just like a UFO. And you wonder, is this physical craft? They find, uh, you know rods of um, metal and thing buried underground that they dig up and take home. And it's, it's like the whole string of everything from UFOs that appear like metallic craft flying over the ranch to uh, paranormal entities that appear like shapeshifters or dogmen. Like you were saying, they, they can mimic. So this whole concept of uh, dog-headed beings or wolf entities shape-shifting, again, plays back into this idea of ultra-terrestrials. And, and, and again, do you trust what the government says? Could they be drones? Are, are, is reality a lot stranger with this idea of the super-spectrum and ultra-terrestrials living sort of alongside of our, our dimension of reality? So we've got actually... Uh, uh, Lou is in the background here. Uh, Lou, oh, you ready to join us up? Man, 
You might as well. Say, what's happening, boys? Add you to the hey, stream. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. What's happening, Creepy Pete? I love that he's smoking a cigar. Doing man. good, that doing is, good. Got my stogie. That is a whole nother layer of Creepy Pete that I had no idea existed. I love it. Um, so I wanted to chime in because I, I was listening to you guys and I didn't want to jump in early, Carl, because the conversation was so killer and I don't want to ruin your show. No, you're um, good, man. So the the this idea of UAP versus UFO and where it came from, why, you know, how it sort of takes the teeth out of UFO. Yeah. Um, I would like to say, I think it adds even more teeth and sharper teeth to the mm. discussion ah. because phenomena can be a multitude of things it, because they don't, because maybe all of these things that we're talking about in one way or another are right. And the only way to classify all of these things into one word would be phenomenon. You know, like it, it's if if you're talking about Bigfoot, if you're talking about, you know, little creatures that come out of, you know, like gremlins that, that mess with with pilots planes. If you're talking about vampires or werewolves or UFOs or UAPs or uh, portals, all of these things fit under the umbrella of phenomenon. And so that's why I think. I am gonna fight you on that one a little bit because I think it's uh, I think it's it's an even more or accepting phrase than UFO. Yeah, you, you make a good point. It does open the door to many more possibilities than uh, than the limited idea of these things being craft. Yeah, um, and also I was gonna say um, another reason why UAP I think is the preferred term now, at least from a congressional or military standpoint, a government standpoint, because you're right, it does come from them. But the term UAV has been used for a long time, many decades. Mm -hmm. um, and UAP is not new. It's something I believe that was formed in either the late 80s, early 90s, that term started getting thrown around. But I think they settled on that because that last word of the acronym covers so many things. But it's Imagine you're Lou Elizondo and you're trying to get a general to let you form a team of scientists or former pilots or other people like Lou to come together and study this phenomenon as, as a unit. Now, if you go into that general's office and you say, all right, general, I need a budget for UFOs. We're gonna study. They're gonna do exactly what Carl just did. Ghosts. Did you hear? Did you hear Carl? Ghosts. Did you yeah. hear Carl's first response? It was a laugh. <laughs> it's it was so a laugh, awesome, right? Though. So that's what a general is gonna do. But now, if you come in and you say, "General, I need to put together a team on unidentified aerial phenomena that are incurring over our nuclear bases," now you have his attention. And it's not as funny anymore because, I mean, look, I love UFO. And the reason why I love UFOs is because I can go to the most remote part of this planet and say that acronym, and they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If I go to that same island and I say UAP, they'll look at me like deer in headlights. Um, so from that aspect, I agree with you. And that's why I say both. Um, so that way it, it's understood what I'm talking about. It's a pain in the ass for the person who's saying it because now you've got you to add another acronym to a field full of acronyms. There's so many acronyms in this, in this field. It's insane. Um, like we need another one, but, uh, but yes, that's why I would say, you know, it's, 
it's i say that's the mythology behind it that's sort of where it comes from that's the inspiration behind it i wanted to get your thoughts on that no i agree uh go ahead pete i want to hear your thoughts first well i'm obsessed with the mythology behind it now i always say this we don't know what the lights in the sky are but plenty of people have come up with wild, fascinating stories to try to explain them. They have yeah. uh, claimed contact with beings who can communicate with them telepathically from beyond the stars. They've channeled information like the prism of Lyra, like Lissa Royal wrote, with a great story of the Orion Wars and all humanity being born in the cradle of civilization in the Lyra constellation, being chased out by alpha draconians and having to populate new worlds like the Pleiades and the Hyklon systems and Sirius B, all these worlds populated by human species that even came here in the ancient past, if we're to believe. Uh, there was a 2018 study that said 41% of people in America believed aliens visited the Earth in the ancient past. That was in 2018. Yeah, so here crazy. we are a handful of years later with this kind of information coming out from the government. That's only going to increase the idea of people believe we've been contacted before or that there's been some kind of influence in these, in these uh, early days of human history. So the mythology to me is broad and wonderful and really uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the foundation of what I'm interested in. So do you, do you agree with the idea of changing the name to UAP then Pete, or do you like the old school? UFO? I'm old school. I'm a UFO guy. Yeah, <laughs> old school. Too. I, I, my, my, my compromise is, is, is saying both only because like and now that i'm talking to more scientists and more government officials mm. i don't i want them to take me more seriously when i'm talking about the topic you know so to oh, absolutely that, you need to you need to meet them halfway and i you know almost bend the knee uh, and say, all right, all right, all right. I'll use UAP. That's the one that'll go first. But I'm, but I'll never let go of UFO. Because well, that, I understand that if you're dealing yeah. with military and science, you got to meet them halfway. You got to speak the language they understand. Exactly. Personally, exactly. I don't believe in 85 percent of the stuff I talk about, but the 15 percent I do believe in is crazy. <laughs> that's what. Okay, so. Man, that's what I'd love to get into with, with Kirby Pete. All right, so, so, you know, I was talking today, me and, me and Mike were talking uh, today to a guy uh, in a private setting, and um, the one thing he threw at us that I thought was cool is this idea that these things really, <clears throat> I'm sure they've been here throughout time uh, during certain moments, uh, but these things really in a modern time started showing up the, the moment we we started setting off nuclear weapons hmm. and um, that possibly, especially once we started getting to the big, big nukes, um, especially in the seventies and eighties. Um, well, how do you explain away the air flap of the 1880s, the airships like that well, predates the UFO phenomenon that predates flight. It's true. It's true. But what was going on in the world though, at that time uh, on the ground, I mean like historically, other than the airships, like were there great wars happening? I can't, I can't think of what was going on in the eighteen. Uh, what year was it? You said the, the great uh, in the eighteen eighties. So this would have been okay, so roughly, almost, almost, you know, after the almost, Civil War. Right, 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 right. Uh, and the building, well, the rebuilding after the Civil War. No, it's interesting. I don't. I mean, I don't have a good explanation for that. But I mean, there, but I do like this idea of of these these weapons of mass destruction being so powerful that they've possibly ripped 
a hole in space-time. And now these things are here. And they're coming in all different formats. And it's almost not... Um, it's almost like a warning system. These entities, these beings, these things we see. Um, like a thermometer. Like when a thermometer gets too hot, that means that it's time to turn on the air conditioner. So it's yeah. it's when these things start showing up, it's almost as if you know they're they're steering us in a certain direction to make sure it doesn't all end essentially. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just I I thought that was fascinating. Thought that was absolutely fascinating. Be right, it doesn't explain like some pictorial you know uh, carvings. It doesn't explain uh, you know flaps throughout the centuries, um, and maybe these things present themselves. As humans understand them, they filter themselves in what humans, uh, you know, are talking about at the time. Because I know, what, late 1880s, that's about the time, what, hot air balloons started popping, I'm thinking. Right, right. right. And some people believe that these airship flaps were related to mad scientists testing out new devices. Right. But they were so replete, it it was impossible to think that it was just one person engaging in that kind of activity. Right. And no invention was ever uh, come of it, you know. So it's not like the airship flap led to a new flying device. Right. It was the Wright brothers who finally cracked the code. Right. Yeah, and there were some strange sightings with all that air flap, with these like blimp, like steampunk type uh, sightings of these craft that flew over, like almost yeah. like a tic tac. But they were uh, then people would be seen mm-hmm. literally descending down ropes and and letting off anchors and. And then right. climbing back up the ropes and these all so, these but like strange, like champagne and yeah. feathered hats and like yeah. they were still wearing the fashion. Of so the is this time. why they instead of calling them unidentified flying objects? Because your mind immediately kind of subconsciously latches on to this just being like like a ship or like mm-hmm. a, a a drone or a spaceship of some kind, but calling it like an unidentified aerial phenomenon suddenly opens the door for these things to come down on the ground and run around or could be more paranormal. Like maybe before the blimps and these flying, the flaps where these steampunk things were flying over, it was more like dragons or they saw them more uh, uh, demonic or different types of paranormal entities like the Mothman or, or paranormal type creatures. And they weren't seen as more technological. They just had different names for the same stuff. Um, this could kind of relate back to the idea of ultra-terrestrials in a way. You know, some suggest that the precursor to the first UFO sighting in 47 on Mount Rainier, right. uh, the first modern UFO sighting, that is, uh, was the Babylon working performed by Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard out in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> right. These men were engaged in occult practices that opened a doorway that allowed these entities to come through. Also, in my research on Antarctica, I came across something called the Hefferlin Manuscript, which was written in the 1930s. Mm. And it speaks to flying saucers 10 years before the first sighting at Mount Rainier. So who's the first sighting at Mount Rainier? That Was that Kenneth Arnold? That's correct. See, because Kenneth Arnold, he also, when you actually read what he wrote about those sightings, he was quoted in the newspapers and the, and the media covered it in, in the press and everything. Uh, but they called them like flying saucers and like they were aliens from outer space. But Kenneth Arnold actually privately said, no, I think these things are actually from inside the earth or living under the ocean, that they're somehow uh, 
in a other world dimension parallel to ours, he actually didn't even claim that they were extraterrestrials. He claimed that they were sort of ultra terrestrials, which is very interesting because the whole shaver mystery that came out too. And all of these guys were involved in a weird way to the occult. And like you, you bring up Scientology even. So what do you think the connection is there with the occult, the paranormal, the sacred geometry, and then we've got skinwalkers, UFOs, aliens, and Bigfoot all connected in some weird way. You know, uh, Jack Parsons was also in correspondence with Alistair Crowley. And Crowley had channeled a being named Iwas, or Lamb. Right. And there was an illustration of this creature from 1911, and it looks strangely like what we consider to be an alien gray. So who knows if there is an occult connection between the UFOs and these entities that we consider to be the denizens of the UFOs. Uh, there's a very strong possibility there is some kind of uh, uh, a means to contact these things that is not limited to science. That's more a paranormal type attraction. or uh, And then again, you have in a lot of these instances, like in Tibet with the Kala Chakra initiations and they have the the uh oh the oracle of of Tibet even the uh Dalai Lama visits an oracle who supposedly does a ritual there's a lot of sound wave uh fluctuation going on where they're trying to alter perceptions of reality and then he basically like becomes possessed telepathically with these entities that look a lot like the Hindu gods these plethora the multi-armed winged beings that you almost see depicted in these ancient times and it makes you wonder if is that why they're changing the names up why they're trying to expand it like lou says give it more teeth actually it's not just like a spaceship that comes down with little gray guys running around but maybe they're just one aspect of this total other dimensional being uh, i don't know what do you think it's such a big topic that spans all over the place very strangely well, I mean, Lou, Lou Elizondo talks about, you know, this idea of, you know, in the in the early days of sailing, sailors talking about monsters in the sea. And then, you know, it turns out, yeah, there are giant squid. Yes, uh, there are whales, you know, there are huge sharks. Uh, they're they're pretty, some pretty nasty, scary-looking things, but sometimes they look pretty nasty and scary, and then it turns out, you know, they're some of the most intelligent creatures on the planet. So I think this idea of... Um, not being able to see 98% of what's happening around us because we don't have the filters to see it yet. Yet. You know, it, took, it could take us millennia to get finally get all those filters. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think the filters are there. And, um, you know, I was talking to a friend and he was saying, you know, he's a UFO guy like us. And, and he went to a family barbecue and the family was like, so what's the scoop? on ufos you know what's happening and he was right. like well he and he ran a little experiment so he's like you know it's uh i've heard that uh there are up to 14 different races and some alien bodies and things have been recovered you know and it's pretty wild stuff and then he's like and everybody's like oh interesting very cool like <laughs> you know very accepting of the information and then he said and then i also heard that um that these things can be contacted through remote viewing through the subconsciousness. Right. And everybody's like, 
<laughs> like, so wait a second. You believe there's 14 different races and craft with retrieved materials, but you can't fathom a human subconsciously reaching out to these things or consciously meditating and reaching out to these things and, and being able to communicate with them on a completely different level. That's out of that's out of the realm of reality for you. And it was like, wow, man, people just, that's why I think it's being drip fed. It's being slowly fed yeah. to us at, so people can eat it like baby food. Just very, very slowly. Eventually, we'll work our way up to a stake where we can explain portals and wolf creatures coming out of them. You know, like, <laughs> like we'll get there eventually. I think I really, really do. Um, but it's it's baby, 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 baby steps because I think a lot of folks in in and say like a NIDS or an OSAP or, you know, Bob Bigelow, uh, some of the experiments that they were running and things that are just absolutely batshit crazy. But they happened. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like they can barely wrap their noodle around it. So how do you present that to the masses? If you can't fully understand it, and I think that's a big, big part of all of this, because I think all of these stories, all those lures, all of these um, mythologies, there's truth to them on some levels. You can taste it almost. Um, they all ring, have a ring of truth to them, and and maybe they are explainable through these 98.8% of the filters that we don't have yet. You know, and maybe they're just as explainable or as mundane as a whale in the ocean. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the terrifying aspect of right. all this. Is right. we, think, we, we think about <laughs> our reality as being this fixed thing. And we think of like, oh, if an alien gray was going to come down into my bedroom tonight and walk around and reach under the sheets and grab me like the boogeyman, you know, or have this abduction scenario that it would have to fly down on a spaceship, you know, and like yeah. come down from the, from the Orion belt or something and pick me out of the crowd of scanning everybody over the town. But the reality might be a lot spookier than that, where these things like almost like extra dimensional or ultra terrestrial entities live alongside us all the time, kind of in a blind spot. And they just hover around. Imagine if like these insectoid type extraterrestrial or ultra terrestrial beings is what we're talking about here. They just live in this perceptual blind spot. And like you're saying, Lou, this 99% of the emptiness that we don't perceive right. in a different frequency or frame rate. Uh, which one's scarier to you, Pete? Is it the idea that they come down with this advanced technology or that they are like uh, the spirit realm or this weird demon type realm that accounts for all of that? Well, I think it's a little more frightening if they come from another world. I think that we have enough religion and mythology to explain them away if they're from here. But uh, if they come from another world, that's an entirely different idea. You know, uh, I mentioned this earlier. There's this idea of the Prisca Theologia where yeah. – in each religion, there's a thread of truth. And if you follow the thread back to the earliest point in time, you will find the purest religion. So maybe we need something like a Prisca extraterrestria, where you follow the threads all the way back, and that first contact is where you find the purest, truest, 
elements of what these things are. So whether or not they walked out of another dimension and made contact with people or came out of the sky to do it, there was contact made. And I think all religions and all mythology speak to that very clearly. Yeah, and then the Secret Machines books that were put out by the To The Stars Academy, and they're uh, also helped co-written by Hal Putoff, who started the remote viewing program at the Stanford Institute with Ingo Swan. And for the government, all these guys went on these, in their books that they've written in their, in their journals yeah, and lectures. Say, can you tell me a little bit about those books? Because I haven't read them yet. Oh man, it's like uh, so. The To the Stars Academy came out with these, and they have a couple of different ones. They have a fictional series of books that has mm-hmm. to do with sort of like a, a subplot of UFO reverse engineered technology and how these crashes. There's like a Harrier pilot trying to learn how to fly these things, and they're consciously controlled craft, and he keeps have they keep having these encounters with like extra dimensional beings. But every time that he has these telepathic encounters, there's like this Greek mythology overlaid into the stories, even out when the characters go to area 51 and almost gets into this weird ultra terrestrial uh, mythos, like these ancient relic technology has been left behind on the earth and these self replicating sort of drones are flying around and they also project holographic manipulations onto reality. And this is all stuff that was put out uh, with the help of Hal Putoff. And these guys came from the remote viewing stuff. So who knows, is this stuff all like psyops, like propaganda to try and manipulate like our sense of the UFO phenomenon and the UAP phenomenon, or is this really what they're trying to disclose? Is this real paranormal thing or are these extraterrestrials it, it uh, so we keep coming back to this point what do you think lou oh man um <laughs> so weird right you keep talking to these people I mean, like yeah i mean look i don't know that's it gets thing. weirder and weirder and, and right i think i think it's like it's yeah it gets weirder and weirder it's almost like every time we can break down a protein or an atom or something some sort of matter to its smallest, smallest, smallest point, it still gets smaller. It still gets stranger. And the right. smaller you get, the stranger it gets. The more unpredictable and things are just like, whoa, wait, how is this possible? You know, how is this existing? And, um, you know, it was like somebody had, ex- um, I can't remember her name, but she uh, she's a scientist um, on YouTube. God, I'm forgetting her account. Bums me out right now. Uh, but she was explaining, imagine like, you know, this is everything, right? This this sheet of paper is all dimensions, all time, everything that's ever happened or will happen in the in the history of man. And then this phenomena just pops through like that. <laughs> right. And it shows itself like that. And in our existence here, that is absolutely insane. And then it pops back in. And it, you know, closes itself and boom, we're back to reality, quote unquote. You know, it's just like, like I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, the deeper I get into this, the more I'm convinced it's all of it. It's all of it. Like, if that makes sense, if, if that, if, if, if that's even a, a good um, explanation of what I'm trying to say, it's all of it. It's like, I don't, I, I almost can't. 
you know, I used to be this guy who was like, somebody started telling me about reptilians or dwarves or fairies. And I'd be like, come on, guy. Like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, there's, there's literally the, the, in the those. The proof is not there. But the in those weirder I get, it gets. I'm like, who the hell am I? Who am I to tell this person that reptilians don't live underground? I have no clue. Maybe they in, do. In, in those secret machine books that were just put out by uh, Tom Tom DeLonge and the To the Stars Academy and Hal put off with Lou Elizondo. He was all in there when they wrote those books and stuff. They literally have scenes where these characters go to fairy circles, mushroom circles in the forest, and have these like fae folk appear to them out of strange portals in the ground and they have these extra dimensional encounters and these books are supposed to be part of the forefront of what's going in front of you know the disclosure movement right, right. <laughs> are we really talking right. about ultra terrestrials right now imagine the fae folk like now what? imagine being the government and going okay explain that you know, go ahead. Tell yeah. them on CNBC. Go ahead. Tell them. Tell them about what you just said, Carl Vibe. Tell <laughs> tell Jake. You know, Jake Tapper uh, about the ultra terrestrials and in the portals. Like right. they're, they're gonna, they they're not ready. They're not ready. And so that's why I can I can kind of almost sympathize with our government officials or the people who really do know. I can understand on a, on some levels why they're like. They're these, these folks, they're just, we're bare, we, I, you know, I'm a five-star general, four-star general, and I can't handle it, you know? Like, what yeah. is mom who's driving kids to soccer practice going to do when she finds out about this? Yeah, the reality's more like Alice in Wonderland. Like, <laughs> go ahead, Pete. I, I, I doubt that there are people in the know. I think that the people in the know are totally in the dark. Oh, you know, for all these researchers and all the whistleblowers and all the information we got coming out, I don't think they have a clue what they're they dealing with. No idea. And I think it terrifies them beyond explanation. And that's because why they don't tell they people, Pete. That's why they don't tell people. Because yeah. they, it's scary, dude. But it's it plays scary. to both our hopes and our fears. It plays yeah. to both of that. Because some people hope that these beings will come out of the sky and be the saviors of mankind. Right. They'll bring with them technology that will bring us to a utopian civilization, wipe out hunger, poverty, and disease, and, and, and usher in a new golden age. Right. And other people believe these things will come here and harvest our organs, you know? So it, it is plays to both our hopes and fears of something better out there that can come along and save us from ourselves. And maybe these things have in the past manifest in a certain way more physical into our dimension of reality. And it does account almost like a cargo cult or cargo culture for these ancient religions and for the petroglyph carvings that you see. And they these big civilizations that rise up and worship these sort of entities or beings or gods that portray these supernatural uh, sort of abilities. And then they have these amazing cultures sort of emerge in the middle of nowhere and then suddenly collapse with these weird trace uh, signs and carvings and architecture left behind, almost trying to warn us like it's this weird uh, cycle. So you're right. Like, how do they disclose this stuff? How do they say, oh, yeah, these things, uh, they live in your blind spot. They live oh, in the shadow. The they, they never will disclose it. I, yeah. I, am, yeah. I have great yeah. big hopes for this UFO report that's supposed to come out. Don't. But the reality of it, the thing's going to be so redacted or it'll never be released to the public. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I you wouldn't know. say. I, I look. It's gonna say basically what the New York Times article said earlier uh, a week ago, and that is, and I think this time the headline will be right, uh, and that is, you know, these things are real. They don't know what they are yet, and there's we we've ruled out Chinese and Russian. They're not Chinese and Russian. Right. I think that's what's gonna be confirmed. And and that's the baby food, you know. Like we know that, but a lot of folks don't. Um, that's the baby food. They got to eat on that for the next few months, and then something else. And this time, maybe instead of smash peas, it's a whole pea, you know, uh, of information. Um, but let me ask you guys this: Who do you do you think, whatever this phenomenon is? Does it have control of our outcome? In other words, you say something that's coming here to save us from ourselves. I mean, do you think they care? Or do you think they'll say, well, this thing will reset itself and we're going to have to start again because time is of no factor to this, these entities? Well, that would really depend on what their society was like. You know, are they advanced to the point where they're almost godlike in our eyes? Right. Or are they indifferent to human suffering at all? Uh, if they were indifferent to human beings completely, and they were an interplanetary species with advanced technological capabilities, and they found this little blue marble that's so rich with resources and diversity of life on it, what would stop them from taking it for themselves? And the fact that that hasn't happened in the last 60 or so years since they've first been cited in the modern era speaks volumes to me that if they wanted to wipe us out, they could just release something in the atmosphere that's, you know, poisonous to us. Right. But do you think they care about the outcome? Like, in other words, do you think they're sitting back and saying to themselves, well, if we don't get this nuclear weapon thing under control, this is over. Hmm. You know, do you think they step in and and one way or another show themselves to a point where it's like, oh, okay, maybe we shouldn't try to blow ourselves up in the Cold War. Well, there have been those reports of these extraterrestrials even disabling our nuclear capabilities from above. Yeah. So uh, the idea of you have to disarm, this is this comes from the, the same contactee movement of the 50s, the Space Brothers, during the height of the Cold War. Oh, you got to get rid of these nukes. You better get rid of nukes. You can't have nukes anymore. You're going to you have too much power. Look at these worlds that had too much power. They blew themselves up. What if they're our last line of defense against these things or these weapons? What if that's the only reason we haven't been overcome by them? Hmm. Maybe we already have been overcome by them because they actually control our perceptions of reality. And what we're talking about as our limited perception of reality is the way they made us or have uh, adapted our DNA to begin with, you know, if these things actually have coexisted alongside us from the beginning, maybe they don't wipe us out because they put us here. And in a weird, strange way, maybe that's hard to disclose as well yeah. because you're getting into these uh, sort of, you know, all, all of our oldest legends and stories in, in ancient history all have to do with, them uh, wiping us out in a great deluge or a flood and only right. keeping a few samples of us around or something like that. And you get this cycle over and over again. And uh, so maybe it is a little bit tougher to disclose and they, and they never will. Do you think they're, they're going to ever disclose anything Lou, or uh, do you think they're going to just tease um, it? Like on? I think eventually it's gonna, it's gonna show itself in one way or another somehow. 
Um, I don't know how that'll happen, but yeah, I think it'll be it, it'll, the, the hand will be forced. It'll have to be. Um, and either that that showing of the hand is the end of all of it, you know, uh, in their in their in their you know reset as we were talking about. Because I was just gonna say, like, you know, did Atlantis reach a point to where the Atlanteans were just polluting the planet and killing everything, and, and to a point where the species is like, you know what, just throw a meteor right around Utah and let's call this thing a day, <laughs> um, you know, like, and and then everything that was wiped out was wiped out around the world. And the only place that survived is the motherland Africa. And then everything sprung out from there again. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating. So why are they, why did they, scary. why do they seem to be coming out of the ocean and why are they releasing these, uh, you know, sonar and radar evidence of them, FLIR camera footage of them dropping down into the sea. Why is that? such an important element to why the Pentagon is admitting and allowing and changing the name uh, to transmedium craft. That's not a name that Jeremy Corbell came up with. They told him that yeah. transmedium craft. Yeah, and well, so yeah. somehow this idea of them going in and out of the water, being under the ocean, why do you think that is? I think it's because they're in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. They're in the ocean. You know, they're there. They're, I look, look, remember, what I say on my show all the time, the Rubicon, the, the the reality, these things are here. They're definitely in the sky. And it seems that they're also in our oceans and the both are almost synonyms. It doesn't matter. Like they, they come from above 60, 60 to 80,000 feet where these top of the line radar systems go to. And as I'm sure in, in, in some classified settings, those radars go even higher. And they're coming down from space, going into our atmosphere, and then going underwater. And but it sounds so out. crazy. Like, are they going down to, like, Aquaman's <sighs> temple? Or, like, what you is know, this place I, I, under yeah, the ocean? I don't, I don't know, man. I don't it's know. It's an entrance to the hollow earth. It, 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 or it's just yeah. there are portals that maybe those... Maybe the portals are easier, easily... They're not as detectable as if you did it in the sky. And they just... They just, that's where they come in and out of. Not so much that they have it. They don't have to have a city down there. They don't have to have a world, you know, where they go get right. gas and maybe some munchies at a Seven Eleven. Maybe it's just literally like, hey, this is the best cover. <laughs> like, you know, nothing is two miles underwater. There are people that can see shit two miles above land. Um, so that, I think that's the easiest explanation. Is is it's easier to hide their ability to slip in and out of whatever they're slipping in and out of uh and but why like who knows man who knows it's like does a fish ask you know why he's caught and thrown back into the water i i i have no clue i have no clue man but damn it's fun to think about why do you think pete why are they going under the ocean what are some of the stories that might uh, help us answer this well, I think the idea of these transmedium crafts speak volumes. If you've got something that can fly in space, fly in the air, and then go underwater, it's obviously not human technology. It's just not. We don't have anything well, that can do that. Well, it, it depends on how you define it, though, right, Pete? Because we have missiles that can do that. We have missiles that are launched from submarines right. that go into air, that go into space, and they come back down to Earth and blow shit up. But we don't have craft. <laughs> but we don't have craft that can do that with people inside of it, at least not that we know of. 
That's a good point. Um, that is a good so, point. Yeah, that's just a clarification. But yeah, I agree with you. They like from a traditional standpoint, from from a nuts and bolts standpoint. Yeah, I don't think like there's a crew in a vehicle that can do all those things. But I'm sorry, go on. Uh, well, I, one wonders if there's a crew in any of these things. Some of the maneuvers they make would liquefy any organic material that was inside. It's just incredible. The G forces when you have something shoot off at 1,200 miles an hour. Uh, I mean, it's it's incredible. So I mean. Could these things be etheric? And that leads us back to the ultra-terrestrial question. Could they exist partially within our reality, partially without it? You know, and, and, and a lot of that is ascribed to UFO lore, too. And again, via theosophy, again, via ascended master teachings. But it does speak to possibilities. Think of people who have traveled on a lonely road and stopped at a cafe or a hotel or a restaurant only to return that way and find no such place ever existed. <laughs> yeah. Think about yeah. the man from Taurid who showed up in Japan with papers from this fictional country and they lock him in a room overnight and he vanishes. Wow. So do we have bleed over from other realities? Do we live in a multiverse or an omniverse? I mean, we speak to antimatter and dark matter and these different possibilities that exist. Why not? Why, why couldn't there be more to our reality that is seems so malleable in certain places like skinwalker ranch like the bermuda triangle like the bennington triangle like the zone of silence these places where reality seems to be very thin and anything seems to be possible Why not? so so then it leaves the room there for it to not just be straightforward the typical uh, metallic saucer craft that comes down and hovers around with a couple of little alien grays and jumpsuits. It could be a lot more dynamic in the spectrum of what's actually at play here that only sometimes they manifest as these gray beings, but they could also manifest as a, a shadow figure in the corner of the room and paralyze you to the bed, almost like a sleep paralysis mm -hmm. episode or pull you into some sort of, strange alternate dimension that almost feels like a different realm of reality and it does make you wonder if does this have to do with our conscious connection and perception of reality there's people like uh donald hoffman he wrote a book called the case against reality and what he proposes is that the scientific evidence uh when it comes down to it and the statistics show that your evolutionary perception of reality and what you think is going on cannot be true. Just in the same way that when you're looking at the user interface on the desktop of your computer and you move a file across the screen and drag it down into the trash bin, you're not actually seeing the millions of bits of code, the ones and zeros and the, electri the electrical voltage switches that are going on and off in order for that event to occur. You're just getting this really dumbed down user interface that looks like an icon of light that slides across and goes in the garbage bin. And so when you go, you know, through reality and you get up and go to the kitchen and get a glass of water, in a sense, that's sort of the same. You go and you get a user interface like this icon of that looks like a glass and you fill it up with water and you drink it. But the reality is we have no idea behind the blind spot of reality what is actually going on, even with inside your own consciousness and how your body processes all of that is a total mystery. And so these entities or beings, even if they are physical extraterrestrials from somewhere else in the, in the known galaxy or universe, 
they may have the ability to stay in that blind spot or outside of our user interface of reality and sort of mm -hmm. slip in and out of the shadows and maybe like in a nightmare or in a dream, how uh, you might start to become afraid of something coming up the dark staircase in your nightmare. These entities that exist in our blind spots might read into our subconscious interface with that and appear as some sort of a being like an, an angel or a demon or a poltergeist or an alien, whatever to get their means across or their purposes fulfilled, whatever that is. And weirdly enough, sometimes that's uh, mutilating cattle. <laughs> so like, uh, so let's go around. We're here a little bit over an hour at a minute and 15. Any final thoughts on this, Pete? If you had to summarize you know extraterrestrials versus ultra terrestrials it's such a strange phenomenon and it's almost like they're leading us into this new paradigm of seeing this uh event and what's going on with the ufos uaps what are your last thoughts and then uh, tell everybody where they can find you well you know i think what it comes down to is there is a light in the sky there's something going on up there. We don't know what it is. We can make claims. We can speculate. We can wildly theorize. But we really don't know. Right. Uh, I think legends and lore speak to all manner of creatures that may or may not inhabit our world. Uh, you know, demonic entities, angels, jinn, fey folk, elemental spirits. All of these things could exist uh, until we find a way to measure them with science we just don't know uh but but some of those things i think uh will leave enduring questions for us to ask and ponder upon for a time uh until uh, until we find answers and, and hopefully that's not soon because then i'll run out of stuff to talk about <laughs> <laughs> or will the rabbit hole just deepen you know they may try to yeah. They'll try to explain what it is, and then people like us will be looked to for the answers in some strange way to explain all of this. Maybe, maybe. That could be. So, Pete, tell everybody where they can find you and uh, how they can check out your show. Well, you can find me at the creepy little book where we discuss everything from the esoteric to the extraterrestrial, from the spiritual to the supernatural, seven nights a week, 365 days a year, including holidays and weekends. And uh, we do this Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. I'm sorry, 1 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. On the weekends, we squeak them in a little earlier at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And sometimes, just sometimes, I'll go live again at 3 o'clock in the morning for your pleasure and enjoyment. Awesome. So, yeah, come on over to the creepy little book and check it out. I've got a great back catalog of evergreen videos you can check out, plus the live streams. So join us, the community of the curious. And everybody can bounce right after this show over to Pete's show on the creepy little book. He's actually going to be going on live tonight as well. That's so. right. I'll be live at 11. Yeah, he's awesome to listen to and listen to his storytelling and participate in the chat. It's very fun to go over there. So definitely check it out and we'll put the, make sure the links are all down in the description below. Lou, what about you? What do you think your final thoughts are? What is going on with all of this? Uh, if you had to make one big guess. Well, first of all, Pete, I thought I worked hard seven days a week. I know. Times a day. <laughs> Dude, I have no clue how you do that. I, I don't no either. It's a lot of coffee. Research all of that stuff. Um, you're a maniac, but in the absolute best way. <laughs> Thank um, you so much. You humble me, dude. It's I, I seriously do your show. Um, so my final thoughts. Uh, Pete said something last week that I really dug, and that that is 
we need science to measure this, but we also need wizards to understand it. Yes. Uh, so bring both. Bring the wizards and the scientists. And I think it's going to, when it's all, when the dust settles, I'm not going to be shocked if a little bit of all of this is true. And all of these things that we have viscerally experienced are actual things uh, that can manipulate feeling time um all of it they can manipulate all of it and uh and then that manifests or filters its way into our brain as a bigfoot or something reading your mind or having you know being splayed on a table or a cow being mutilated like it's i think it wouldn't shock me if it's all of those things, <laughs> all of those things, and that's why I think we need the science um, first. Only because the, the it seems like with science, the conversation gets to the masses in a much easier way, and then you slip in the wizards. Um, I think it's the only way forward. Yeah. <laughs> so so Lou <laughs> says slipping the wizards. I totally agree. I think the science in the end all started with uh, people doing alchemy and wizards in a certain sense anyways. When you look at Nikola Tesla and his approach to reality and all of that, it looks a lot like a modern day alchemist or a wizard and all that. So Lou, tell everybody where they can find you over on uh, the Unidentified Celebrity Review. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Just check out the <laughs> Unidentified Celebrity Review. Um, we have a website. We have our YouTube show Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, we do UFOs and UAPs. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do technology and singularity uh, with Michael and his show. So we give you a show five days a week between the two of us. And uh, and we always have guests on like Mr. Carl Vibe. And I hope soon, Mr. Creepy Pete. Oh, I'd love to. Man. Uh, I'm looking because, forward. Yeah, dude, I've got, I've got, I know, dude. Uh <laughs> I gotta talk to you, Pete. I gotta talk to you. We'll make it because, happen. We're gonna make it happen. Because man, I've got some fun ideas um with you. So um we have to make it happen. I mean, dude, I saw that cigar and now my my mind's going even crazy. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me, man. This was a lot of fun. I, I liked I loved interacting with the both of you and, and having the woo-woo conversation. Uh, yeah, but but also you know not taking ourselves too seriously, uh, and and having fun with the topic at the same time. So I agree. Thank Thanks you guys so much for joining the show and everybody over in the comments section it was really awesome. Hopefully I got a bunch of you guys featured on screen. Check out Pete over on the creepy little book and Lou on the unidentified celebrity view, and uh, check us out here on Carl Vibe again in the next one. We'll see you later. Peace out. Yeah.